0: I do invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're just going to study two verses this morning. Can you handle that? We'll see. Just two verses Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. But I want to begin with a statement that our world has criteria, that's the plural form of the word. By which we define what a winner is and what a loser is. Criterion is the singular form of that word. Just, that's free to all of you who came today. It doesn't matter. But the world has a lot of criteria about what makes a person a winner and a loser. It's true in the financial world. And you've bought into that. You believe the more you have, the bigger winner you are. The less you have, the less of a winner you are. We've accepted the world's criteria about uh, athletics. We know who the winners are. We know who the losers are, right? We have seen academically what the world considers a success and what the world considers. A lack of success in the academic world. So it doesn't matter. Whatever world it's in, relationally, academically, athletically, educationally, financially, we know the world has these criteria by which they judge. Are you a success or are you not? And I thank God that once in a while someone breaks out of that mold and shows us how to be a real winner even when the world might not judge them that way. I want to use a few athletic analogies today. First, I want to tell you about a father and son. I'll show you the picture in just a minute. Father and son team, Dick and Rick Hoyt. Well, Dick was the father and Rick was the son. Show the picture if you would, please. This is Dick and Rick Hoyt at the Boston Marathon in 2017. You can see it on the road. Well, Dick is the father, and Rick is the son. And the son liked to say, because of his physical, Ill, his physical inability to run, he would say, Daddy is the motor, but I am the heart of this team. 32 years in a row, they ran the Boston Marathon. Now, Dick, the daddy, is now deceased. But for 32 years, he pushed his son in that wheelchair with cerebral palsy. Across the finish line of the Boston Marathon. Isn't that inspiring? Well they never won that race. But you know they did. In the Olympic world. I won't show you any more pictures. But I will reference some things. Some of you remember. If you know anything about sports history. For example. In 1908 Marathon. An Italian by the name of Durando Pietri. He finished it. After having come into the stadium, he fell five times. An official helped him across the line. He was disqualified because he had assistance. But in Italy, he was the hero. He may not have won, but in their minds, he did. And many remember the name Derek Redmond in 1992. From Great Britain, he finished the 400 meter dash with a torn hamstring he was he hopped most of the way but then out of the stands his daddy came disqualified because he got help but his daddy helped him across the finish line well winner officially no but a winner absolutely and then perhaps one of my favorites in the 1968 marathon mexico city A Tanzanian runner by the name of John Stephen Akwari. He came into, he finished an hour behind the winner of the 68 Marathon. Struggled in every way. But Akwari said, my country sent me here to finish. Not just to start the race. Well, he was a hero to his country. I thank God for those who have shown us over the years... That there may be a different definition of what a winner is and what a loser is. And I think it's incumbent upon parents to teach their children that just because the world sets up certain standards, that's not always what a winner really is. That we need to teach our grandchildren. That's not always what a winner is. But spiritually, we definitely ought to teach our children grandchildren and ourselves that if you want to be a winner, you're going to do what the Lord says in Philippians 4, 8, 9. If you really want to be a winner, you're going to learn to be like Ephesians excuse me, Philippians four, eight and nine. So look there with me at these powerful words for us. We should remember these words. Paul begins with that wonderful phrase that we love when a preacher says it finally. And I've told you before, what does it mean when a Baptist preacher says finally? Absolutely nothing. But when Paul said it, it meant something. It was a powerful reminder that you've studied the doctrine and now the duty comes. You've studied the belief. Now let's look and see how it ought to affect your behavior. So finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is any praise, think, dwell, ponder these things. And then he really goes to meddling in verse 9, where he says, Do what you have learned, and received, and heard, and seen even in me. And the God of peace... We'll be with you. Shouldn't take us long to preach through that, right? First of all, see with me that we have a personalized pattern which serves as an inspiration for different living. Paul is able, unlike most of us, to say, look at me. Do what I've told you. Do what I've done before you. Do what I've exampled for you. He examples this kind of life. And so he says, what I have learned... What I have received, what I have heard, what I've heard and seen in him, do these things. But in verse 8, we begin to see this powerful, personalized pattern which serves as a veritable charter for Christian thought, for Christian living. We see powerful principles that are just exceptional. Well, we must ask, can we serve as an example for others like Paul served as an example for us? I pray we can at some point in our life. But look and see what he told us to focus upon. First of all, he said, I want you to have a pattern in your life of thinking on, pondering those things that are true. Those things that are true. Now that word literally means that which is valid, that which is reliable, and that which is honest. Think on those things that are true. As Brother Tim said earlier, we are here to worship, but our focus today is on learning how we might be transformed. And that mid-service video was so powerful because it talked about how you become like that which you love. And you began to act like that which you focus upon. Paul says, focus on that which is true. Now we worry about a lot of stuff, most of which is ridiculous. One psychologist named William Cavert said, of the 100% of things we worry about, 92% of those things are either beyond our control, never happened or never will happen, or they're imaginary. Only 8% of the things we actually worry about are really worth considering. Satan, the Bible says, Jesus said in our study in the Gospel of John, he is the liar. He's the great liar. And he wants you to focus your mind and your thought on things that do not matter. But Paul says, focus your mind on that which is true. And so we should let the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, control our minds so much that we focus on what is true. And by studying the Word of God. And that's why we are a Bible-based church. And that's why I will preach to you from the Word of God. No other place. Because it is the only thing that is worthy and true in this world. And as you focus it, upon it and let its Word come into your life and you focus on what is true, then we become more and more valid Reliable and honest even in our own lives. So Paul starts off by saying, focus on what is true. But he goes on, doesn't he? Focus on what is noble, honest, and just. Noble, honest, and just. Powerful. This means focus on that which is worthy of respect and worthy in in that which is right. And do not focus on that which is not respectable. It does not mean as a Christian we put our heads in the sand and we become unaware of what's happening in our culture. I try to be a student of culture. I do, and you do as well. But listen, the Bible says focus on that which is noble, honest, and true. That which is noble, honest, and just. We must not focus our attention on what the world wants us to see and believe. We must focus on that which is worthy of respect. Where are you putting your thought, your mind? Next, he says, whatever's right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Beautiful phrases here. He's speaking of focus on that which is pure. He's speaking about moral purity. And the people to whom he spoke were like all of us. We struggle with moral impurity. He said, Focus on that which is pure. Focus on that which is lovely, meaning beautiful and attractive. Focus on that which is admirable. This means worth talking about. Let me tell you, in our world, there are a lot of things just not even worth talking about. Quit wasting your time talking about stuff that does not matter. We waste a lot of God's time on things that do not matter. Major on the high and valid points of life. Whatever's right. Whatever's pure. Whatever's lovely. Whatever is admirable. And then he says whatever is excellent and praiseworthy. If it has virtue. If it has excellence. It ought to motivate us to righteous living. If it is praiseworthy. Commending to our mind. We ought focus on that and that's where we put our mind and so he's telling us friends pay attention where you what you're filling your mind with now we know abraham lincoln once said you can trust everything on the internet did you know abraham lincoln said that some of you will catch that about 2 30 this afternoon But we've heard other phrases, garbage in, garbage out. The media has set up its own agenda for us to focus upon. And I'm telling you, many of us need to go on a media fast. Fasting from the internet. Because let me tell you, some of you believe stuff that you say on the internet is unbelievable what you believe. On both sides of the political spectrum. And just because somebody says it with authority. We believe it. Let me tell you something. This is what you believe. And this is all that you need to believe. This is what we believe. Not what I say. What does the Bible say? Focus on that which is true. That which is admirable. Because the inner the world has set up its own agenda for us to focus upon. So he... Says, I've got a pattern for you, and this is where you ought to put your mind. Whatever is right, whatever is just, whatever is honorable, pure, lovely, commendable, morally excellent, praiseworthy, dwell on those things. Easier said than done? Oh, yeah. But you want your life transformed? That's where you're going to put your focus. I told you before, the Bible helps us even here to fill up and crowd out the mess of life. To fill up and crowd out the mess of life. Well, how can we fill up our minds with that which is righteous and true? By focusing, as Paul says, on that which is righteous and pure and admirable and praiseworthy and just. We've got to retrain our minds away from the internet and away from the media and away from television and all these forms of control and focus on that which is right and real. Oh, maybe you think I want to become a hermit somewhere. Well, if it would work. But you see, hermits have lived throughout the centuries realizing the mind still is filled with trash. Even when they get away from other people. You've got to learn how to train the mind. That's why Paul talks about it so much. But let's also, second and last, hear the command that's needed. Hear the command that's needed. In verse 8, at the very end, he says, dwell on these things. That is in the imperative mood in Greek. What does that mean? It is a command to us. You do this. You dwell on those things. That word is used when a builder would calculate the cost of building a building. I got an email from a sweet friend in Mississippi that Dell and I know, and they're wanting to build a house up in Black Mountain, North Carolina, but they can't afford to right now, you know? The building costs have gone sky-high. Well, dwelling on something is calculating the cost. Paul says dwell on this. Calculate what really matters in your life and think on these things because what you think on has a reflex effect upon your character. Where you keep your focus is how you're going to eventually end up acting. If the indwelling mind is on Christ, then we're going to continue to be transformed from the inside out. But if we dwell," On that which is not of the Lord, then we will deteriorate in character. Paul says in another part of Romans that they became futile in their thinking. He said their senseless minds were darkened. That's what happens when we cherish that which is unholy. Character takes on the hue of the complexion and hue of of what we think about. Cherish noble thoughts. Cherish noble thoughts. Cherish loving and tender thoughts. Allow the indwelling Christ to dwell on those things that have divine approval. And we will see an increasing newness of life. I remember when I was a little boy watching television. And a commercial came on. It was an African American college fund. I don't use the phrases in that anymore anymore. But I remember the byline wanting us to give money to this fund. And it said, because a mind, does anybody know how to finish it? Is a terrible thing to waste. Great byline, great marketing tool for a college fund. But let me tell you something in the Christian world, we ought to daily realize a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And I'm not talking about intellectual pursuits. I'm talking about a heart that's devoted, a mind that's devoted to the things of God. The mind is a terrible thing to waste. And so Paul says, dwell on these things that really matter. Some of us are so stubborn and so carnal that we probably need to set our watch or our smartphone to go off about every ten minutes to remind us to get our mind back where it needs to be. Focus. Focus dwell on that which matters and he's given us a long laundry list of that which really matters in this world so stop and catch yourself and say okay that thought I just had was that just? was that worthy? was that praiseworthy?" can the Lord say keep thinking down that line boy and see where it gets you keep thinking down that road girl see where it takes you you need to say father i've asked forgiveness for that thought line take me back to where it needs to be to think that that which is holy and pure and admirable and praiseworthy so paul says dwell on these things but then he really begins to meddle and he says do what you're supposed to do do what you're supposed to do look at verse 9 do what you've learned uh, and received and heard and seen in me You see, we, there are things we truly need to just do. And Christ's therapy for the church in the book of Revelation, do you remember it in Revelation 2.5? I'll preach about it someday. Remember therefore from whence thou hast fallen, repent and do the first works. His advice to the church to do what you're supposed to do is what Paul is saying here in Philippians 4, nine. Do what you've learned to do. Well, friends, sometimes we just give lip service and say, well, I'm trying to live the Christian life. Well, Paul says, quit thinking about it and do it. Quit promising and do it. I've told you before. I sat down beside a pastor of a large church in the deep south. Uh, They asked me there, didn't want me to come. It was a liberal church. It really was. It really was. I'm not joking. But they wanted me to become, because of the position I used to have, 250 years old. Or 200, I can't remember. It was old. And they wanted me to preach the anniversary ceremony. So I said, okay. I'm going to preach what I want. But I sure will. I sat down beside their young pastor. He'd been there one month. Sweet boy. And he was about the third in the last 18 months. Because they know how to spit them out. And he leaned over to me, almost giddy. He said, Dr. Page, I am so excited about the potential of this church. And then I realized how patronizing I sounded when I said, Young pastor, your job is to find out why it's just potential. He said, What? I said, Son, I used to pastor in this town. I've known this church for a long time, and it's going to be your job to find out why is it always potential. In our lives, we can say, I could be this, I could be that spiritually. Well, why isn't it reality and not just potential? We can talk about a church, but you need to talk about your own life. I need to talk about my life. Why am I still talking about where I need to be? Why am I not there? It's time to quit talking about it and start doing it. Do these things which you have heard and seen, which you have learned and received from me. To know the presence of God. The power of God in our lives means that we are to act upon these things. That's why I tell you, fill up and crowd out. You really want to have a better mind? Then you fill it up with the things of God and crowd out the mess. I always have to guard my words because a little redneck comes out of me every once in a while. Fill up and crowd out. But last and real quickly, we see the result. We see a peace giving presence which enables a different life. We see a peace-giving presence. Just look at the last verses. Uh, excuse me, the last part of the last verse. And the peace of God will be with you. He says, listen, if you think on what you're supposed to think and you start doing what you're supposed to have be been doing all along, I'm going to give you a peace that's beautiful. The peace-giving presence of the Lord ought to be the strongest inspiration of our lives. To know that the presence of God is so real, it ought to change us from the inside out. And we often think of peace negatively, that it's the cessation of Hostilities. Peace was declared in 1918 because Germany quit fighting. Peace was declared in 1945, V.J. Day, out in the, in the Pacific, and V.E. Day in Europe, we can give you the dates. you mind know when the Civil War ended? When was Appomattox? Huh? Without looking at your dumb phone, it was April of 18, April, but I can't remember, I think 16th, huh? 15th, April 15, 19. 1865 we know when peace was declared because that's the cessation of hostilities but Paul talks about the fact I think that peace really comes not from when you stop fighting but when you fought and won I think he's telling us here that it's not just the absence of trouble but it's a positive relationship of ongoing leaning on the Lord. That's the peace that comes into our lives. So last phrase, the peace of God enables us to have right relationships with Him and with our fellow human beings. With trust in God, we don't have to be constantly beset by the struggles of life. Is your mind different? Is your life different? We see the pattern. We see the imperative. We see the peace giving presence of our Lord Jesus. Are you ready for a different life? Paul says you can have it. Think and do. Fill it up. Crowd it out. Pray with me. Father God thank you so much for your precious word. That again today has convicted us, has spoken to us, has thrilled us, and has shamed us. All at the same time. Because God, we all think things we shouldn't think. Say things we shouldn't say, and act in ways contrary to your heart. Forgive us for that, Lord Jesus. Forgive us again God, may we do what we're supposed to do. Repent. Submit. And follow in a way like never before. Thank you for another opportunity, Lord. Thank you for another chance. And we ask this prayer. In Jesus' name and all people said.